Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to The Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good evening. My name is Dr. Richard Selznick, and I want to welcome you to this newest edition of School Struggles. I am proud to be a part of the Coffee Clutch team, and on School Struggles, we talk about a range of topics, including learning disabilities, dyslexia, special education, ADHD, and a whole host of other interesting topics that affect your child. I am a child psychologist and the director of the Cooper Learning Center, which is a part of the Department of Pediatrics, Cooper University Healthcare, located in Voorhees, New Jersey, which is outside of the Philadelphia area. We're in South Jersey. I'm the author of The Shutdown Learner, Helping Your Academically Discouraged Child, another book called School Struggles, and my more recent publication, Dyslexia Screening, Essential Concepts for Schools and Parents. These are all available on Amazon or Barnes and & Nobles, and you can learn about the books and my stuff at www.shutdownlearner.com. That site is locate, loaded with blogs and lots of great information for parents, and you can follow me on Twitter by following at Dr. Sells, that's D-R-S-E-L-Z, and on Facebook under Shutdown Learner. You may also want to go to thecoffeeclutch.com. It's one word, the coffee clutch. So tonight we are talking with Jessica Zarotny. I'm getting my decoding skills in line here by pronouncing your name, Jessica. Did I do a good <laughs> job? Yes, you did a great job, Dr. Oh, Sells. Oh, good. And Jessica is the... Is the lead occupational therapist at Sensational Kids, a wonderful group in Marlton, New Jersey. Um, Jessica is she earned her, she got her master's degree in occupational therapy at Philadelphia University, graduating in 2012, and she's very passionate about her work and about new research in the field. Um, she's, she really tries to stay up to date, and as she noted in her bio, she's very much a kid at heart, 
and her clinical and professional experience as well as her knowledge of child development and behavioral analysis, sensory integration really uh, helps kids in many, many ways. So, Jessica, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Excited to have you on. Have you on? Um, you know, I, by way of introduction as well, I was reflecting on the fact that you know, in this field, there are, I, for parents, I think that there's a, a bit of a dizzy, what I call a dizzying array of professional players out there. You know, anywhere from neurologists, psychiatrists, psychologists, occupational therapists, speech and language, the list goes on and on. And I think it's sometimes difficult to know, you know, what direction to go as a parent. So tonight we're going to be discussing, you know, what is the, what does occupational therapy, otherwise known as OT, what does OT bring to the table and what's their part in working? We're going to primarily talk tonight about learning disabilities, ADHD, dyslexia, some behavior. That's kind of our, mostly our focus. So Jess, tell us, tell us about an OT. What's the primary role of a pediatric occupational therapist? Well, I think that a pediatric occupational therapist is a definitely a unique role. So if you know what occupational therapy is in general, I think oftentimes you think of it in a grander scale and you think of it with adults. So in regard to pediatrics and the kiddos that I work with, I'm focusing, most, focusing mostly on their occupations. So occupations for a kiddo are play, um, academics and learning, and uh, social participation. So my... My scope of practice is very, very wide. It's a wide range. Um, but my primary focus um, in this setting, in an outpatient setting, is sensory processing, um, sensory integration, so working on their sensory systems, their fine motor skill development, their visual motor skill development, and then really just overall social and emotional regulation. So just getting them more functionally independent in their day-to-day routines, whatever is impacting a, that specific kiddo. You know, I'm... I'm I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to play the naive parent here. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to play the role of naive parent. So tell me, back me up again. When you talked, you spoke at the beginning about, you know, occupational therapy in adults. I don't really know what that means. So tell me what that means first, and then we'll we'll shift into how you see it more so with the kids. Absolutely. So with occupational therapy working with adults, you're going to focus more on their occupations, which are more well-defined. So if a, like give me an, an example, adult, like a real concrete example. Absolutely. So if an adult has, say, a stroke and they lose um, unilateral control, so say they, get, they lose control or strength in their right side of their body, they need to get back to work, they work in an office setting, they need to be able to type and have that coordination back. Um, the occupational therapist's job is to get them more functionally independent so they can get back to work, get their strength back, get their coordination back, their sensation, um, and get them essentially back to doing their day-to-day activities from their job title, being a mother, being a father, um, being a just a person that likes to be active in you know, the community, so getting them functionally independent to work, get back to what they enjoy to do it, enjoy doing every day. So occupational therapy um, will target effectively keeping the back of the therapist's mind, 
the actual occupant. So if you're a carpenter, for example, keep the occupation in mind as to how do I get that person more back into his skill set so that he or she can be doing that type of work that they do. That's kind of what I'm hearing. Absolutely. So that's really easy to define for it. Well, a lot more easy to define as an adult. When right, right, because, you know, it's, right, that's right, because you're, you're, you don't have, as an adult, using the carpenter example, it's like, okay, you, there's a defined set of skills, I would presume, that one needs to have to, in order to, to carry out that occupation. And then if your fine motor skills are off of, you know, dexterity, things like that, I, you know, you need to have those worked on or targeted. So whereas a child... Their broader skill sets that they need to bring to the table, so, and I think that that's what you're you're um, alluding to. Absolutely, yes. So, how does um, occupational therapy then differ from, and even starting with the adults, and then shifting into the kids? How do you, how does occupational therapy differ from something like physical therapy? So, occupational therapy, I always. Um, whenever I talk to people and people ask me what I do, I say I'm an occupational therapist, and they either give me a kind of a look, like they know what I'm saying, or they, you know, they pretty much let me know that they have no idea what that means. So right. uh, my definition is always in comparison to physical therapy because it's a pretty easy and quick uh, definition. So I typically say that physical therapy is going to work more on strengthening gross motor skills and just overall strength for the lower body. And the occupational therapist role is more strengthening the fine motor skills and then the upper body, as well as the cognitive piece. So strengthening the brain, essentially. Many many of the kids that get referred to occupational therapy that I see, and are it's related primarily to writing deficits. And what I would like you to walk us through. Um, one would be, you know, there's always this question about dysgraphia and what that is and how you test for it. Now, do you guys do testing as part of an occupational therapist for something like dysgraphia? Absolutely. Um, with dysgraphia, how, how is that done? Yeah, with dysgraphia, that's definitely one of the more challenging diagnoses, especially because it's pretty undefined. It's pretty. It's not very clear cut. There are a lot of things that can impact that. So, so what yeah, I so it starts you, with what what base, in ba- very basic terms, what is dysgraphia? Dysgraphia is basically the inability to put thoughts or actions on paper. So, maybe a child has the thought process to carry out and create this beautiful story, but when that translates to paper, their handwriting is off, their legibility is off, their spacing. Um, being able to kind of really clearly see what they're trying to to put on paper um, is becomes challenging. So it's kind of a disconnect between the brain and the hand. And then the now, vision. I find most of those kids, and this is where I get myself confused in this world too, because so many of the kids that I evaluate for, say, reading disability or dyslexia, those kids also have invariably have writing problems, you know, I had one this morning that I evaluated. Uh, She has sentence structure issues, spelling issues. Her penmanship was pretty good. Her handwriting wasn't bad. So I wasn't, to me, I didn't see that so much as dysgraphia as 
something linked to the whole reading disability and learning disability, you know? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, hard, it's sometimes hard to tease out what's what with these things. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I definitely And you don't have that. to agree with me. It's already okay not to agree. <laughs> <laughs> it's really okay. I'm going to agree in this, but I won't no, agree. You know. <laughs> um, so how do you test for it on your side? On my side, I, there's probably 15 to 20 standardized assessments I can choose from. So what I like to do is I like to start with a parent interview, kind of um, – get a general idea of what the bean struggles are going to be, and then I always, from there, do just a quick writing sample to see where they're at. And then I can usually pull from there, and I just... A base, and I'm sorry to interrupt. The, the writing, because I do something like that as well, I want to make sure we're on the same page that way. So the writing sample could be something like describe your weekend or anything like that. It's an informal kind of paragraph, that type of thing. Yes, absolutely. And then if they're younger, I'll give them I'll give them something to copy. So if they if I know that they don't have the skill set or the cognition to create something out of thin air, then I'll just give them a quick my favorite sentence is the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. You know what's mm-hmm. so interesting about that sentence, Dr. Selznick? Oh, I have no idea, so go right ahead. It it has it has every letter in the alphabet. So you're gonna You know, I think I knew that at one time in my life, but I've forgotten that. But so that's right. That's how you practice <laughs> typing. Yes, it's a fantastic trick. So that's a good go to. I should practice that. I I need to practice that. Okay. <laughs> I you know, good. Okay. So yeah, and then I'd pick you know, if depending on what I see from that sample, I'm gonna pick a more specific standardized test, whether it's just the etch which that's just going to look at specifically at handwriting, at their letter formation, um, the sequencing of the way that they're creating their letters, um, or I'll just do a fine motor um, coordination assessment, such as like the Peabody or the BOT. These are just names of assessments. That, these are kind of my go-tos. Those are your favorite tests. Okay. So then from that point, assuming the kid has some issues and they're coming out a bit below average in, in some of the major with some of the major tests that you gave, you developed some kind of treatment plan. Why don't you walk us through a typical, I don't know, you want to take a six-year-old kid? You want to do that, or what age do you want to pick? Let's go six. Um, okay, so time... six-year-old, first grader, who's you know been having trouble. He's learning. He knows his le- – I'm making this up as we go. He knows his letters some in terms of identifying them. He knows a few sight words a very, very early stage reading child. So he comes into your office, and you now meet him and worked with him, and you found some issues. So then walk us through what you might do with him. Well, I'm going to see, I want to, with a kiddo that is six years old, they've gotten pretty far along. So they've gotten through kindergarten, and they're entering first grade, and obviously their parents have decided that they're ready for that, but that maybe they might be a little bit behind. So what I'm going to do first is I'll probably try to rule out any sensory processing difficulties that may be um, bogging them down or maybe limiting their independence with use of helper hand or just that midline of their body. So the midline of a child's body is something very kind of, it's an obvious thing to diagnose if a child just really doesn't have um, awareness between the right and left side of their body. This is a kiddo who right, so probably that, yeah go ahead sorry go ahead that's okay so a kiddo who probably didn't have um, a dominant hand right away or was maybe at that point is still switching between right and left and is just not dominant in one side so I will focus on 
bigger movements and bigger skills with the bilateral coordination to pull those two, to pull right brain and left brain together a little bit more. And then I'm going to focus on specific writing goals. So um, sustained attention for writing, um, increasing the span of time that a child can attend, um, if that's something that's limiting them, or just speed of writing, so copying skills. And then getting to the bare bones of the praxis and the ability to motor plan those letters and those words um, in the correct order, because there's if a child's putting a letter on or a word on paper, but they're sequencing it from bottom to top, or say they're you know going from right to left, they're going to be way behind in their speed. So I'm going to focus on the little skills that all go into um, the bigger picture of writing and reading. So a lot. So what I'm getting out of this, again, I'm trying to put myself in the role of you know not trying to be you know a psychologist as much as a, a parent who's truly trying to understand. So what I'm hearing you say is that children are often either at a certain stage of their lives, I'm using the term confused, you didn't say that, but left-right confusion, they haven't established dominance of hand, so they might switch uh, pen from left left hand to right hand, or they might start the wrong side of the page. You know, we they may not have the instinct or the in, intuitive understanding to start on the left side when they're working in writing or written or putting down the alphabet. Are all of those things kind of as, you know, am I correct in what I've said in terms of my interpretation? Absolutely. It's it's more, it's less, it's, it is partly instinctive, but it's more just a a lack of awareness in my opinion. Lack of awareness. So I think that's very awareness. true, and I think, yeah, I think that's very true. I just want to punctuate that for anybody listening. That I think that, that la- I see that with little young kids, that there's kind of a, a lack of an awareness um, when it comes to some of these issues. Like I use a test called the Bender, Bender Gestalt, which basically is a, it's, it's, uh, just, it's like the Beery in some ways, you know, the, de- you know, the developmental test of visual motor integration. And, you know, you, you see where the child positions the design on the page, and if they are somewhat aware they're of space, so to speak, they're, you know, they're, they're starting at the top left corner and they're working their way down in a somewhat ordered way. If they seem to have a lack of an awareness, then they could be all over the place. It's kind of random yes. in their style. Yes, and then putting, yeah, pulling those, when you can add those skills in and you add that coordination piece in, Um, Mm -hmm. All of that kind of just comes together for a kiddo. So if you can just refine the little underlying skills that an OT would be responsible for refining, such as just dexterity, strength, um, even just body awareness. Some kids just need a little bit more awareness of of the midline of their body and their body's roles. Um, Then you'll see such a huge change, and pretty quickly, I would say. Now, I I really like what you guys do for, for children in terms of this kind of work. I wrote a little bit of a provocative essay, a blog a while back saying, you know, that the writing process goes beyond OT. What I'm hearing is that you're you're working at a certain level of development in terms of written expression, but I think what parents need to understand from my perspective is I think that OT does great work at the first stage of writing development, like the very rock bottom level of skill work and skill focus and that there's after that there's another stage that OT doesn't necessarily go to what's your commentary on that absolutely i think there's uh what you see is you see or what i 
often see is I see fast gains. I see great, um, you know, improvements in maybe one piece of this. But then if I find a, that I'm plateauing, and then there, there's often kind of a missing piece. Like, and that's when, you know, say a, a teacher is the one that referred to me. So I've gotten, or maybe even a pediatrician. Pediatrician or um, a teacher refers to me. We tackle this fine motor piece. We get to a great point. And then at that point, I'm seeing maybe some more of the visual motor piece kind of falling apart or um, we're just not getting past where we are. Then I, I, need, to, I need to call it a Dr. Selznick or, you know, I need, to, I need to get that some additional testing done to see if there's something that I've missed. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that, that writing, written expression is just so incredibly complicated that so many of the kids that I deal with have fundamental writing problems. And I think that so much of it is tied into after they've ta- you've taken care of some of the fine motor, well, then this, they still have spelling errors and they still have word choice errors and they still have, you know, semantic and syntactic kind of confusion that mm-hmm. is now beyond the work of OT. Uh, but a good writing spell, you know, remedial writing specialist, or, you know, someone who knows like an Orton-Gillingham type of style process for writing seems to me to be the next phase of that, you know. Um, tell, tell us, okay, so the kids really enjoy the work. I mean, they, they, I, I've been in your center and it looks like a lot of fun in terms of the equipment. And, and so the kids tend to like the, like this type of therapy? Yes, it's, it's, an easy therapy to make fun as long as you just you have to remember kids love novelty and they love you know just the newness of something tailoring it to their needs or I'm not their not their needs well their needs and then their likes their interests I mean I'm wearing a Star Wars R2D2 scrub top right now not because I love Star Wars but because I know that my kids today will be motivated by that you have to See, I'm not and keep I'm it not light. wearing that. Yeah, I'm not wearing that. I need to. I'm going to yeah. put on something. Uh, <laughs> how long is a typical session? Half hour? Um, for fine motor, I typically, it depends on the severity. Um, majority of my kids I see for 60 minutes. Um, but if it's just fine motor and I know that kid's kiddo has a great attention span and they're motivated towards what I'm going to do, we can make that happen in 30. But I would say ideally 60 minutes is where I um, where I how long I typically treat. Is our occupational therapy sessions often covered by insurance? Yes, they are, especially if it is a fine motor delay that's impacting, um, you know, their their progress and their success in school. Um, now, if it's out, you know, if there's a, if that child is um, going to come to me first, I'm going to obviously recommend that they do a school occupational therapy evaluation too so they can cover, get, you know, services right in that school setting. And then a child would maybe choose or a family would choose to have that kiddo come separately here just to refine that and to speed up the process of that so they're getting a little extra. And yeah, I guess that, that, yeah, that brings up that question that we, were, that we have about um, the role of the difference really between the role of an occupational therapist in a school setting versus one in, like, your office. What, what, what do you see as a, are, the, are the fundamental differences between the two? I would say the biggest thing is the sensory piece. So if if anybody's heard of sensory processing disorder, um, that's something that's not really going to be recognized in a school setting at this time, unfortunately. Um, That's something that I can tackle, and I I tackle every day um, in the outpatient setting, and that really truly impacts all of the other academic-based skills. Um, I will confess to something right now. (laughs) 
I still don't get it. Tell, yeah. and I'm not being a parent right now. I'm being a professional. And I still <laughs> don't get it. What, it. what is sensory processing disorder? I know there's a little bit of controversy in the field, but sometimes there's some professionals that I've heard, so, oh, that doesn't exist. What, what is it? Sensory processing disorder at the bare bones is going to, it's so complex, but at the bare bones it is a disorganization of the sensory systems. And there are some hidden sensory systems, and I'm not going to go jargon on you and give you, the, give you those terms. Yeah, because my head won't work. I won't, it will, <laughs> you know, uh, I'll clam up quickly. <laughs> there are some hidden sensory systems that are integral to our learning, to our visual processing, to our overall just processing of movement in space. And if those aren't working properly, if they're not organizing themselves the right way, then we're not going to feel very comfortable in just a day-to-day navigation of our environment, success in school, participating socially, um, there are a lot of things that it impacts. And, so um, would this be, would this be the, a kid, the classic kid who, let's say, will go back to a five-year-old, six-year-old, that kind of age range, and they are at, I don't know, Chuck E. Cheese or whatever it is out there these days, and they're at a, bir- a loud birthday party, and there's a lot of stimuli in the air, and most of the kids are having fun, and this one is kind of melting down. Is that, in your mind, an example of likely sensory SPD or sensory processing disorder? Absolutely. I mean, as, as that, it, that's a, actually a very concrete example. There's auditory stimulation, there's visual stimulation, and there's, it's overwhelming. And it's overwhelming, And the sensory yeah. system is not doing its job and it's not organizing those systems and allowing those systems to help him to help him or he or she to come, then that's most likely a sensory overload and that child would benefit from from services to to organize those systems a bit better. Now just to caution people out there, just because your child I remember my daughter when she was little at the beach felt a little you know, like she might have been two or something, I don't know, and she was you know, it was overwhelming to her. Now there's normal you know, there are normal reactions to senses and overwhelming senses. It doesn't necessarily mean that a child has a disorder just because they're reacting uh, to, to loud noises. It's, it's more the trend line of that stuff. That's how I would see it. Yes, and it has to impact function. So Over time, you have to see academic. it as a kind of like not once in a while. You have to see it, you know, uh, enough. Right, Absolutely. And with you yeah. know with OT, it's always it goes back to function. If if they have some if a child comes in and they their parents are familiar with sensory processing disorder, and maybe they're giving me a few examples. Um, the first question I ask is, do you really think that it's impacting their day to day, or are they getting through? Are they kids are resilient? They're going to find ways to yeah. to compensate and get through it. So unless it's really impacting their day to day, then it's not going to be relevant. It's not going to be a sensory processing disorder that needs to be treated. Yeah, and I think that's a great question. Is it impacting day-to-day? And I also think that people have to keep development in mind. You know, a seven-year-old boy or a seven-year-old child was never known for uh, writing essays, gang. Uh, As much as we think they should be, uh, the the little paragraphs were always the the norm at best. So you have to keep development in mind. And so I think what you're talking about are kids who you take a normal – a typical, a normal, typical five-year-old, 
And these kids that we're talking about are farther out there on the continuum. They're having trouble coping with things that we would consider kind of day-to-day, like a birthday party or other social interactions. Yeah. Now, what about behavior? You guys also work on behavior. What what, What kinds of behavioral situations do you work with? Well, oftentimes sensory processing difficulties turn into behavior. So if a kiddo has a specific sensory processing difficulty, um, they might be seeking more movement. Um, they might be chewing on their clothing, uh, non-animate objects at kind of past an appropriate age. Um, and those become behaviors because they become socially maybe inappropriate or at that point they may impact um, their attention and ability to, to maintain function in a classroom setting, for example. So an OT's role is to manage behaviors related to those sensory needs and to give, um, obviously, to fix the sensory processing difficulties that that child's having. You know, essentially that means to change the way the brain is processing a specific piece of sensory information um, and then give strategies for alternative things to do to calm, to self-calm. Um, but we also have behavior therapy here, which is a behavior therapist um, is going to be more responsible for a grander scale of behavior and behavioral intervention. Um, they work a lot with our children who are on the autism spectrum to help just put in place a behavioral plan in the home that's going to help that kiddo be more, um, be most independent and communicate their needs. Great. So, so my chewing on my clothing is not age appropriate, then, huh? Rich, it's it's not. Uh, but you can work on it. You can help me out. Know, I can help. Uh, how about the, you mentioned before, too, uh, another point, picky eating. I know we only have a couple minutes left, but tell us about the picky eating behaviors in your realm. Picky eating, eating picky. is something I see more and more. So yeah. uh, due to they that, just want nuggets. My... They just want to eat nuggets. They only want chicken nuggets. Chicken nuggets and french fries. Maybe right, that's milk. it. Yeah. Right. So, so what do you do for that? Well, because I was seeing so much more of this um, in my facility, and it was often one of my parents' main concerns or questions when they were coming in, um, I recently went to an amazing course called the SOS Feeding Course. Um, it was out in Atlanta, and it is the SOS Feeding Program is basically a sequential oral sensory program to desensitize wow. any picky eating behaviors related to texture and to strengthen the oral motor piece that might be missing, and to just overall, to make feeding fun again. So it's a very OT-themed approach, and it's very fun. So I I utilize that um, program on a day-to-day here. Sounds great, man. It's I just it's tough being a child, you know. It's it, <laughs> it all these issues, you know. You got the beach overwhelms you. The, the Chuck E. Cheese is too loud. They're telling you what to do in school. They're giving you food you don't like. The, the tags or the clothing are bothering you. It's just hard being a kid, right? It is. It is, and it's an overwhelming world. And yeah. So you guys help sort it out for these children. I think that's great. I think you help you help you do wonderful work. Tell us how people can get a hold of you or the website for Sensational Kids, that kind of thing? Sure. Um, our, sen- or our website is IamASensationalKid.com, and, you know, that's the best way to kind of contact us. You can always see um, upcoming events. We do some speaking engagements. We've had the lovely Dr. Selznick come and speak at our facility. Um, and then, you know, we do consults, so if you have questions regarding anything, um, that you just want some more information about, we would just do a quick consult to see if, if it, 
something at Sensational Kids would meet your needs, or if, um, or from there maybe we could refer to a different source, uh, resource. Well, I want to thank you, for, and thank you for that compliment. The lovely, I haven't heard that, you know, I don't know how many, <laughs> lovely, Doctor. Uh, anyway, but thank you so much for being a guest tonight on the show. Uh, you've been enlightening for the world helping us to understand the world of OT and their corner of the universe with children. And these guys do great work, so I would encourage you to uh, contact them. And I would also encourage you to go to thecoffeeclotch.com. That's www.thecoffeeclotch. That's K-L-A-T-C-H at the end. The Coffee Clutch. There's a ton of great interviews on under my section there and other hosts that you know get into other topics so i would encourage you to go there as well as uh shutdownlearner.com so www.shutdownlearner.com and i want to thank everybody for listening and just take care of yourself we'll hope to see you soon and good night everybody be well take care thanks for having me take care just bye Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.